Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in New York football podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals and the only place for every New York football team and their fans. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez, and welcome back to another episode of the New York Football Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. Like, download, subscribe, rate, comment, do it all, guys. All appreciated. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod and at Tino Rodriguez. Despite another full week of self-quarantine, we have a huge show for you guys. Seven-year NFL veteran Robert Golden joins the show for an awesome interview. We talk about everything from his playing days with the Steelers to his college days at Arizona to NFL free agency and much, much more. Plus, with NFL free agency in full swing, the Giants and Jets both made plenty of moves for me to dissect. But let's start the show off with some New York Jets talk, and let's dissect the moves they made to bolster the offensive line. And let's pick up where we left off last week. As of the first day of free agency, the Jets had made one major move, and that was adding to the offensive line by taking a chance on offensive tackle George Fant with a three-year, $30 million contract. The way it worked out, essentially, it could uh, could be front-loaded, it'd be a one-year contract, be a low-risk, high-reward kind of thing if Fant could turn into what he's shown on tape and showed sides of when he was in Seattle, especially during the playoff game against Philadelphia. Uh, Could be a left tackle, ideally, if the Jets decide to draft a left tackle in the draft with that number 11 pick then he would battle for the right tackle position. But they're paying him enough money to think, you know, he'll be a starter or at least in consideration to be a starter. But they followed that move with four other offensive linemen signings. And let's start with the best signing of the offseason for the Jets, in my opinion, center Connor McGovern, a three-year, $27 million contract. And guy's a beast. Connor McGovern, uh, two penalties, Over the last 1,500 snaps, he had none last season, allowed only one sack in 2019. Uh, A major step up from an older guy in Ryan Khalil who was there last year. Uh, A veteran guy, Khalil, an amazing athlete in his own right. But McGovern, a significant step up. Uh, A lot of people saw him as a second-tier lineman in this, uh, you know, high-priced free agency draft class. I think he was a steal. I think he was a stud. Uh, pickup for the Jets, and they followed that by adding guard Greg Van Rotten, who was a guard with the Carolina Panthers last season. Another man of stability, Van Rotten, four penalties over the last 1,800 snaps for him. Uh, and when you talk about these penalties, it's important to note because the Jets were the seventh most penalized team, at least in terms of holding, with 22 last season. And a major part of not being a bad team and I talk about this for the Giants, and even for the Jets, you can't beat yourself. Good teams don't beat themselves. They don't get penalized. 
And that's half the battle. Now, they didn't stop there. They re-signed guard Alex Lewis, who looks like now it'll be Alex Lewis on the left side, uh, McGovern in the middle, and Van Rotten on the right. And before I dive into how that line is going to really look, let's just add the one last addition that the Jets made in backup center slash guard for the Indianapolis Colts last season, Josh Andrews. He played nine games in two seasons, rotated for one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, and it's a depth move. It's a depth move, and who knows where the season goes. Offensive linemen, you know, tend to be interchangeable. A guy who's seen time at both center and guard is huge and needed, especially for, you know, you look across town for the Giants, they don't have a center. So the Jets not only got one of the best centers in free agency, but they actually added depth along with that. And just to look at the Jets' offensive line real quick, uh, they front-loaded a lot of it. Both New York teams decided to do this. They went at the angles differently. They didn't just cripple their salary cap for the years ahead with these monster deals to these players as, you know, asking for a lot of money. And it's something we're not used to. And at the same time, you got to give credit to GM Joe Douglas for going about this differently. And obviously, an offensive line can't just be bought and put together and just expected to work. You know, it's going to take a little bit more than that. But they had holes on the offense. And it was five holes, and it was all on the offensive line, essentially. Of course, they got to address receiver, too. And that's something they could be open for discussion for with that 11th pick. But in my opinion, if you're Douglas, I think he's sitting right uh, for a tackle or for an offensive lineman that falls out of that top 10 in what could be a quarterback-heavy first uh, first 10 picks and in a receiver class that is absolutely loaded. So I wouldn't jump the gun on receiver there. I would take an offensive tackle. And if they could, that line now has some legitimacy. Uh, you got Van Rotten coming back home. He is a proven right guard. We've retweeted a lot of this on the uh, New York Football Pot Twitter. Um, McGovern is A1 when it comes to handling those tackles. You got Van Rotten to the right of him. And Alex Lewis, who in his own right played well last season. Now, the person out of all these guys that are really getting the uh, raw end of the deal is George Fant. And, you know, he got paid or could get paid more than all these guys with that $30 million deal. But, you know, the thing with Fant is that I think the Jets know what they're getting out of him. And I think if you put the tape on and just see what he's capable of, whether he's playing left tackle or right tackle, it's worth the dart throw for the year. Because he's athletic, guy can move for his size, and although I was on the show ripping him kind of last week at the fact that, you know, he barely played college football and he's inexperienced and he was a basketball player and all that stuff, you put all that into account. Yeah, the price doesn't exactly add up for that. But, you know, sometimes you got to take a gamble on positions that you need. And when you double down with guys like Van Rotten and McGovern, you feel a little bit better about it because obviously tackle super important. But when you have the 11th pick in your back pocket, you have some available tackles there. Ideally, you don't want a rookie just thrown into the left tackle position. But at the same time, you got a guy who's played there in a postseason game 
played well there against a Philadelphia Eagles defense or a front that is, you know, legitimate. So it's competition and you're building depth, which is needed, needed for the Jets. Uh, The thing with most of these guys, too, are the better pass blockers. You know, McGovern's a run guy, but most of these guys protect the passer. Good. You got to protect the franchise in Sam Darnold. The Jets gave up so many sacks last season that, you know, as much as Darnold could make plays with his legs and on the run, give him some time and you'd be surprised what the guy can do. So I like the additions. I like the additions to the offensive line. Now let's note real quick, a non-lineman addition, also on the defensive side of the ball, is uh, Pierre Desir. Uh, one year, $5.5 million. Uh, they also signed, re-signed cornerback Brian Poole. Desir is also a cornerback. Um, and the thing with Desir, he's a something-from-nothing kind of guy. Uh, earned his role with the Colts. Played big prior to last season. Uh, and the Jets are buying him low. I mean, $5.5 million for one year. Again, they're doing these one-year deals. They're front-loading all that cap. But he had a big 2018 season, earned him a three-year extension, but he battled a hamstring injury and, uh, you know, really struggled in coverage last season. He allowed 676 receiving yards, five touchdowns, and an over 100 passer rating when the ball was thrown to him. But he played 12 games and had a career-best three interceptions and 11 pass, uh, pass deflections. So... You know, the Jets wasted no time signing him. It looked like he was on their radar. One day after he got cut, um, again, he had a three-year deal. The Colts decided to cut it, at a, at, you know, cut the court at one year. Jets picked him up a day later. And, uh, you know, again, good for them. You know, you can really go down this and ridicule them, and it doesn't fix this, it doesn't fix that. These one-year deals, a lot of it is like, okay, you know, somebody got, some of these guys will most likely be gone next year. Who knows? But a lot of them are playing for contracts or playing for other deals. And it's better if you have them in system, you know, want they want to be there. And you can grow. You can grow with them. And the thing with Desir is that he earned his stripes in the Colts. And so he's now going to have to come to the Jets and earn his stripes again. But in a position that they desperately need someone who's remotely proven, Desir is going to step in and essentially be the number one corner, especially after Jermaine Johnson's gone. So, I mean, you have solidified safeties in May and Adams, and now you have a guy who's going to ball out for a contract and prove what he's capable of because for a while there, he was the number one corner in Indianapolis. It's just the way it was. So, you know, the Jets had money to spend, and although you can't fill every need, I think they focused on the major part of it, and it was getting guys to help the offensive line or at least better it and look to help that secondary. They also added some other pieces linebacker-wise, re-signed some other guys, but those signings in themselves, those five, I think are going to be the most critical and crucial parts of what this team's makeup is going ahead into next season. Now, staying with free agent signings, let's switch over to Big Blue, just get everyone caught up with their moves from last week that we discussed in re-signing defensive tackle Leonard Williams to the franchise tag. They also added James Bradbury, a cornerback from the Carolina Panthers, 
as well as Blake Martinez, a middle linebacker from the Green Bay Packers. The Giants then decided to stay with that trend of Green Bay Packer additions and signed edge rusher and outside linebacker Kyle Fackrell to a one-year $4.6 million deal. Uh, Fackrell doesn't necessarily fit the dire need for an edge rusher. If you look at what he did last season, he only put together one sack, 12 quarterback pressures, and uh, three quarterback hurries in 40% of the snaps he saw in Green Bay. But with that said, he also had to compete with Preston Smith, who essentially took his spot on the team last season, which the Packers went out and got. And if you look at his numbers in two, uh, 2018, when Patrick Graham, the Giants defensive coordinator, was the Green Bay Packers linebackers coach, Fackrell had a career year, 10.5 sacks, 18 quarterback pressures, played 58% of the snaps, he added six quarterback hurries, and Fackrell is a low-risk, high-reward guy to the finest extent of the term. And although he's not Jadavion Clowney, and he's not Everson Griffin, or he's not any of these edge rushers, even a Marcus Golden that you know the Giants had last season and had a career year that a lot of people... You know, we're really hoping they bring it back. Fackrell's name isn't sexy, to say the least. But the point to get at here is that for one year, $4.6 million, this is worth the dart throw. As I mentioned when we were talking about the Jets, uh, these front-loaded one-year deals is not what Giant fans are used to. And we're going to get into these other additions outside the defense. But, you know, let's just mention the Nate Solder contract. They decided to not go that route again and just Get this top guy on the market, spend all this money, make him the highest paid player on the team, and if he underperforms, you're crippled for years to come. And so what they did was went lower, a lower tier, and got a guy that the coaching staff knows. The defensive coordinator knows how to get to him and, and how to get him going and get the best out of him. And if you listen to Joe Judge speak, that's all he says. We got to get the best out of these guys. If they've been in other areas and other teams and they haven't performed necessarily well but have shown those signs of life and potential, it's the coach's jobs to get that out of them and get the best out of all these players. And I think when you look at a guy like Fackrell, that is the exact point they're trying to make. And this guy is something Patrick Graham was able to get 10.5 sacks out of. And when he left... He only put together, put together one sack. So if he could replicate that or even find the mean of the middle ground there and put together six sacks, I think you're in good shape for the, for the, year, uh, for the year that you're trying to get out of him. Especially when you're a team like the Giants that didn't have a guy other than Marcus Golden total more than five sacks last season. So although the name doesn't pop out at you, I do think his capability and his potential could be not only worth the money, but an improvement to what the Giants had or have. With that said, let's run through some names here that the Giants decided to add to the special teams unit that are going to be role players and kind of utility knives on both offense and defense uh, to fill some holes and help them out. Let's start with safety and special teams guy Nate Ebner. He got signed to a one-year deal. He's coming over from the Patriots. That is a guy that Joe Judge coached. And um, similar to Fackrell, 
in a way. Ebner is a guy that Judge knows the motor he brings. He decided to add him to the roster. So one-year deal for him. He specializes in special teams, but also plays some safety. And then the Giants added uh, some receiver help, in a sense, uh, also special teams guys. They bring back Cody Core uh, to a two-year, $4.7 million deal. And they're also re-signing wide receiver and special teams return man Corey Coleman, uh, the former first-round pick. He, re- he re-signed for a one-year deal. He was a returner for the Giants on both punt and kickoff. Uh, also had uh, a burst in the receiving game as well. So he's another guy that has a high ceiling um, and could turn out to be something more than the value people are giving him. Uh, Coleman, of course, got hurt last year towards ACL in uh, minicamp and will be coming back and hoping to uh, you know, show people what he still has in the tank. He's young enough at 25 years old and as a former first-round pick, I think the Giants to add depth to the wide receiver position, which you know some would say needs some bolstering. I kind of lean on the other side. I do like what they have with Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, and Sterling Shepard. But if Coleman can be that big play speedster, as long as his legs are still there, he's young enough with potential that he could be a nice help for this Giants team. But aside from the special teams guys, the Giants made two other additions that look like they'll help the offense uh, almost immediately. The first being running back Dion Lewis. Uh, looks like he'll be a change of pace guy. He signed for a one-year deal. Lewis, of course, is a former New England Patriot and played with the Tennessee Titans last season and will be a pass relief and third down guy to take the load off Saquon Barkley a little bit as they look to try to get him going maybe more in the ground game. Uh, Lewis, of course, has ties with Joe Judge and you know playing special teams with the New England Patriots and will, you know, not be anything more than a change of pace guy and a potential relief for Saquon Barkley, but definitely worth noting as he's yet again another one-year deal for the New York Giants. Um, Aside from Lewis, the Giants did make one other key addition, and it is on the offensive line, which desperately needed some help, and it looks like they're going to improve the right tackle position with the signing of offensive tackle Cam Fleming to a one-year $4 $4 million deal. Fleming, 27 years old, is coming from the Dallas Cowboys where he spent two seasons under offensive lineman coach Mark Colombo as well as offensive coordinator Jason Garrett. And he's familiar with the offense. Uh, Fleming, to note, also played with the New England Patriots to start his career, was a protector on the right side for Tom Brady as well. But as I mentioned, Played with the Cowboys under Jason Garrett's system for two seasons, as well as uh, was coached under Colombo for two seasons, and knows the system. He's come out on record and says this is a good move for him because he knows he's going to come in and compete regardless of what the Giants decide to do in the draft, uh, if they draft a tackle or not. But either way, he's in a position to at least start at the right tackle position and has a leg up on the competition because he knows the offense. He's been in it for two seasons. Um In regards to those two seasons, uh, Fleming played in 28 games. He had six starts, uh, mostly at right tackle. And he's a guy that can be a sneaky pickup for the Giants. I know a lot of teams had him on the radar. And again, not the biggest name out there. Not the name most people expected to hear. But it is easily a depth move. And at best, could be a potential starter at right tackle. He is a pass blocker. 
And for a guy like Daniel Jones that desperately needs help with protection to at least prevent him from fumbling the ball any more than he already does, uh, a pass-blocking, experienced tackle is a good signing to me. And especially a guy that is comfortable in the system and knows his way you know, around the offense. But now with that said, what do the Giants do with that fourth overall pick? You know, after free agency and the dust settles, where are the Giants at now? Um, they have enough money to essentially maybe sign one more piece or really stretch the boundary and get one more top guy if need be. But it doesn't look like they're in the business to do that after they signed all these guys to one-year deals. So where does this leave us? Well, the Giants have needs at free safety, edge, and outside linebackers still, which to note is Isaiah Simmons. He can help at all three of those positions. Now, the issue is we don't know what we're getting out of Nate Solder. The Giants don't have a center. They could use a offensive tackle there. They could, of course. But I think Simmons clogs up more holes than what a lineman would do, at least with the number four overall pick. Now, to note, I do believe that maybe trading back at this point might be the most ideal. And the only reason is because of how many teams, I believe, will be in the market for a quarterback. And let's start with the team that will probably be the best for the Giants to trade with, if possible, the Miami Dolphins. Now, Miami sits one spot behind New York, so trading up one spot would be unlikely, especially because the Giants are not in the business of getting a quarterback. But... The Dolphins have several first-round picks, and I think it'd be in the Giants' best interest if they were to trade back, obviously get an investment of a plethora of first-round picks and uh, you know future investments, which the Dolphins definitely have to offer. Now, other than that, sitting right behind Miami, which is more of a suitable partner and, of course, are no stranger to trading with the Giants for a quarterback— is at number six, the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, the Chargers, of course, say they're going to go forward with Tyrod Taylor as their starting quarterback after losing out on the Tom Brady sweepstakes, but I'm not buying all that jazz on Tyrod Taylor. A proven quarterback, definitely versatile, but they're going to look for a future of the franchise quarterback. Uh, It depends if they're okay with Herbert or not. If they really want Tua, they'd have to jump Miami, who looks like they're going to get him at number five. Um... The Chargers, of course, don't have another first-round pick this year, so it would be interesting to see how that dynamic works. Ideally, if you're the Giants, a future first, the first uh, this year at number six and potentially a second-round pick, uh, and a little bit more to that, of course, but that's the minimum. Uh, If not the Dolphins, ideally the Chargers. And if it really comes down to it, Jacksonville at number nine. Now, it's just an interesting thing to think about because Jacksonville, of course, just traded Nick Foles, and it depends where they're at on uh, Gardner Minshew as as their quarterback right now because Gardner Minshew had an up-and-down year last year, and again, with the ties of Tom Coughlin to the Giants, they are no stranger to trying to work something out, and it's definitely possible. Now, what I do know is that the number four pick could either be Isaiah Simmons or an offensive lineman, and I'm pretty much at the point where I'd be okay with either. Uh, Ideally, if we're going to get someone at four, I'd rather Werfs over Becton. But if they took uh, Makai Becton, I would understand it. Now, with that said, the Giants' second-round pick 
I think they've been linked to it plenty, but it just makes the most sense. Pairing up former teammate Zach Bond with uh, Ryan Conley in the middle of the Giants' defense with linebackers. I know they just signed Blake Martinez, but Bond can also be an edge rusher. He was a consensus All-American, was a staple of the Wisconsin Badger defense this season, and finished with 12.5 sacks, two forced fumbles, 76 total tackles, and a pick six. I think Bond is rated as the second highest inside linebacker uh, in the draft this season and would be great value for the Giants if they decided to go tackle early to get and invest in the linebacker position, especially with that chemistry between Conley, if healthy, and Bond, and get those two Badgers together to hold down the middle of the defense. So where I stand on the fourth overall pick now is I still think Isaiah Simmons would be best suited for the Giants. I don't know if they're going to go all defense, knowing that they didn't really address the offensive line this offseason, but we'll see. We will see because it's going to depend on how much they trust Solder and how much they believe in Fleming at right tackle. So the jury will be out on that number four overall pick. If they do trade back, It's there's suitors and the price has got to be right. And if it's not right, I'm perfectly okay with just drafting either Simmons or Wirfs to just solidify those positions because what they do and what their needs are fit both of those players perfectly. But now we're going to switch over to my interview with Robert Golden, uh, a man who almost needs no introduction. Rob was a seven-year NFL veteran, spent some time with the Chiefs at the end of his career, but mainly played with the Steelers. He was a four-year captain, was the youngest captain in Steelers history, and we touch on everything from his playing career to some of his former teammates. We talk about the draft, the Giants, the Jets, and share some great stories and some great insight. So here he is, Robert Golden. All right, so now we have on seven-year NFL vet, former Pittsburgh Steeler, Arizona Wildcats alum. Now tell me okay. if I got this right now, Robert, the youngest captain in Steelers history. Four That's times absolutely captain. correct. Yeah, That's and right. I got president and chief executive of the Golden Charter Academy. That's what you're doing now? Yes, that's what I'm doing, man. I'm actually in the process of opening my own school up out in Fresno, California. So uh, it's been good, man, just kind of having my hands tied with that and, you know, trying to focus my whole shift from being a sports player to actually being, you know, in the education field now. Uh, It's been different, but it's been great, man, to kind of learn something else and uh, try to reach new goals. Yeah, I mean... And working and teaching and working in education is so humbling too. Giving back to other people, helping kids, it never uh, it never dies out. That feeling you feel good about it all the time. Now, so I'm no gonna start. Yeah. There was a million. There was a million ways I could have went about this, but I'm gonna start uh-huh. with some you're not expecting. How come you didn't get enough reps at a backup quarterback with the Steelers? <laughs> two for two, sixty nine right. yards, two first downs, and, right. and this, this is two parts. Why did it well, – there was a three-year period where you didn't attempt to pass in there. So what happened? It's crazy, man, because uh, we practiced that play every single day when I was there with the Steelers, man. And, uh, 
you know, when we ran it the first time, I think it was, what, 2013 or something like that. And uh, when we ran it, man, and people saw me throw it, you know, we never got the look again. But every week, man, we prepared for that play just in case if we ever got the look, I was able to throw it again. And, uh, it was up until, what, my last year with the Steelers, man, where they the Cincinnati Bengals gave us that look that we were looking for again. And when they gave it to me, I was like, let's go, baby. It's on now. So uh, it's nice. funny. Man. A lot of people always say, no, why you didn't play backup quarterback there? But. You gave the receiver a chance to make a play. The coverage wasn't great anyways, but still, no doubt. you did your job. Uh, no doubt. Yeah. I always talk to Hey Bay about that, man. I'm like, you supposed to score that, man. I'm supposed oh to have a touchdown on my record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the one completion was like 40 yards. So, I mean, half the right. field is a nice little, nice little tip. No doubt. <laughs> uh, so, transferring from quarterback. So, you kind of had a different route through the league. So you kind of, you know, you ended up on the defensive side of the ball. You ended up at safety, but obviously you worked your way up through special teams, which is, you know, it's a bit of an old school route. A lot of people don't necessarily see that side of football anymore. You can think that way. Uh, What do you kind of credit that to? And I'm sure that's a lot, you know, harder than to just say it, you know? So how do you stand out on special teams and how do you get to the point where, is it just your open field tackles where they're like, you know what, let's throw this guy at safety? Or what right. was it that kind of helped you take that next step? Yeah, man. Um, one thing that they always say about special teams, uh, it's about what you're willing to do, you know. So um, I, how I came in as a free agent, man, I came in, you know, willing to do whatever it had to take, you know, to make the team. So uh, I just tried to keep my special teams hot, man. Um, at the end of the day, it's about just going down there, playing with your hair on fire and uh, giving it a thousand percent in every rep. So uh, I think the coaches saw my hustle. They saw my grind. They saw my grit, um, wanting to get to the football, wanting to make plays. And uh, I finally got the opportunity, you know. Um, It wasn't like I never played safety or anything like that. You know, that's been my position throughout, you know, my college career and everything. So uh, it wasn't foreign to me. You know, I knew my capabilities. It was just about getting the opportunity. You know, when you're a free agent, you're – your opportunity is, you know, slim to none. You know, you got to take advantage of every rep. And uh, I think that was something that I did, man, and it gave me an opportunity to showcase my talent as safety, man, and uh, kept me around the NFL for seven years. So uh, definitely great, you know, grateful for that. Uh, so, I mean, I'm going to talk about some college stuff a little later on, but I will say you got a nose for the football. And so oh, absolutely. When, when you got a nose for the football and you can touch the football, you could throw it. I mean, you just right. take the pace out. It makes everything a lot easier, you know? No doubt. So I noticed you had one touchdown and you essentially just fell on the ball in the end zone, right? Nothing too crazy. Right. Nothing too crazy. Officially, right. you got some other stuff in your career. But, I mean, how, how far does that go, scoring an NFL touchdown? Is it just like – some on your resume. I mean, obviously it's something you remember as your only, you know, as your only score, but um, how does, how does that look, you know, to your peers and on the defensive side of the ball, especially when you're trying to get some looks? Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, you know, they, they say when you in it, man, you, it, it's not really that big of a deal. You know, when I scored a touchdown, I was like, yeah, I scored a touchdown, but you know, now that I'm not playing anymore and I sit back as a fan and watch football, I'm like, Man, I scored an NFL touchdown, you know, so it's kind of a big deal for me now, man. But, uh, 
when I was when I first scored the touchdown, it wasn't really that big of a deal, you know, but it was just showed, you know, my hustle and my grit, you know, on special teams. I believe uh, my first touchdown came when the guy muffed the punt and the ball was bouncing around everywhere. And I just happened to be running full speed, trying to get to the ball and uh, happened to land on it in the end zone and was able to score a touchdown. And I think we were able to win that game, too. So um, I was just happy that I was able to help my team during that time. Yeah, man. I mean, that's instinct, right place at the right time. But I'm sure a lot of preparation, you know, film study goes Absolutely. goes into that as well. Uh, so, I mean, you had a couple picks, though. It wasn't just that fumble recovery. You had a couple picks. You had some QB hits. No sack. Sorry to hear no that. Sack. No Twelve sack. QB hits. You had to have been that close, I'm sure. Right. I didn't see the tape. Right. But, yeah, I'm sure you wanted one. Uh, but let's talk about the Steelers real quick. So, you were part of, you know, several good teams, to say the least. Uh, to start out your first couple years, uh, it was a little non-Steeler-esque, to say the least. And then sure. those last four years, you guys were rattling off double-digit wins. Uh, sure. You went wild card, division round, conference championship, division round. Versus right. Peyton, Brady, and, you know, and so right. in, those, in those runs. Uh, right. I guess just, just touch on the fact that, I mean, obviously you didn't start with those wins like I noted. So how hard is it to really sustain success in the NFL? I mean, even as a team, obviously you give credit sure. to the coaching staff. It's not just you. I mean, you were just doing your part. But just sure. as a whole, I mean, that's not easy yeah. to do, to say the least. Yeah, man. You know, wins are hard to come by in the NFL. You know, they say the, the best team don't always win on Sundays. It's the team who plays the best that wins. And uh, I'm a living testament to that, man, because uh, my first couple of years, like you said, man, we went eight and eight, I believe. But um, even though we went eight and eight, I was still able to play with some great players, you know, like Troy Palomalu and Ryan Clark and Ike Taylor, you know, just getting to know and play around those guys and see the ropes and the routes that they took, you know, to being a professional. Um, I think those first two years uh, served me good, you know, moving on forward in my career. Um, the third year, like you say, we were able to, you know, win a, a, a lot more games and make the playoffs. And uh, we made the playoffs for four years straight. Uh, we didn't reach the, our goal, you know, which was the Super Bowl. But um, I feel like we had a great team, man. We went out there. We gave it our all. But uh, we just fell short. But that just goes to show you, man, when we when you have an offense that got Dale, um, uh, Antonio Brown, uh, Martavis Bryant, Ben Roethlisberger, you have that much talent on offense and don't win the Super Bowl, man. Uh, that just goes to show you, man, that sometimes it comes down to who plays the best. Uh, especially during those games. So uh, it was a lot of learning experiences for us, though. We had a great time, man, but just never won that ring, man, that we were so close to getting, you know, uh, for numerous years. Uh, just to touch on those learning moments real quick, obviously the one name that pops out is Troy Palomalu, obviously a Hall right. of Famer this year. Uh, right. Coming into the league, obviously you didn't spend your entire career with him, but you spent your young years with him. So kind of being in that safety room, I, I'll assume you were in that safety room with him. Right. But what was it like to kind of just see how he went about his business and just, you know, his just right. mindset every week? Absolutely, man. It's crazy because when I was growing up, man, uh, Troy Palomalu was some film that I watched before pretty much every high school game. Uh, another guy that played safety with me in high school, he even got a Tasmanian devil tattooed on him just because we were so obsessed with Troy Palomalu. So 
uh, my first years with the Steelers, I was kind of like starstruck. You know, I had never really been starstruck. I've always just been a guy that's like, oh man, that goes a superstar, you know, and I try to keep my cool composure. But man, seeing Troy Palomalu for the first time, man, I remember I was like, wow, that's Troy Palomalu, you know, but uh, Troy was always just a down to earth type guy, such a humble guy, man. And the way that he went about his business every day, you know, it taught me a lot. You know, people see Troy making these crazy plays on Sundays and they like, man, how did he do that? How did he jump over the line of scrimmage? How did he know that play was coming? And uh, when you watch Troy and you watch how he studied them and you watch how he just uh, approached the game man, on a week-to-week basis, uh, you can definitely see how he was successful throughout his career. So um, I was just happy that I was able to be a part of a Troy career, man, for the number of years that I was, to see how he went about his business, man. Uh, I'm definitely happy that he made the Hall of Fame as a first ballot guy, man, because uh, it's well-deserving, you know, the time and the work that, that he put in into the game, man, throughout his whole career. It was his hair, wasn't it? That and shoulder crackers <laughs> did you in. Yeah, like, you yeah his, his, his hair definitely had some superpowers, man, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so another teammate of yours on one of those teams, I, I, I was just curious to know if uh, James Harrison ever – invited you to play one of those medicine ball volleyball games with you yeah, yeah played in one of those medicine ball volleyball games yeah man we played in a few of them actually James uh he trains out here I live in Arizona so he trains out here where we train at it uh where we do the medicine ball uh games that is at the Danny Ann Center man PP uh we did it every offseason man and uh, I like to talk a lot of crap to James, man. James knows me well. So <laughs> whatever, whatever we can step on the scene, man, and challenge James, I always do it. I always call him out on social media and stuff. He's a funny guy, dude, but uh, definitely a hard worker as well, though. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I coach high school football now, and that's something we started doing. We, w- The thing is, we're kind of short on field, so we got to use, like, the you know, the goalpost for it. But yeah. I mean, a workout, that is a workout yeah. and a half. You don't realize how hard it is until you're running, catching that in stride, exactly. getting it back up. So. Exactly, man. And, and the rules that we do it, like, you can't bobble the ball. You can't, you know – let the ball turn your energy. You can't adjust your feet, right? You got to. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Catch it and toss it, man. So it gets real competitive out there, you know, especially when we start keeping score. And at the end, you know, it's the championship rounds. And, oh, uh, man, it gets real competitive out there, especially <laughs> here in Arizona in 118 degrees, man. Oh, it's man. definitely a workout. <laughs> I mean, we yeah, we do it on a turf field during the summer, too. That gets hot. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine what Arizona's like. Oh my god! Right, you put right. Eggs on your uh, on the hood of your car, right? I think that's what uh, I've seen a video of that. That's how. Was that? I said you could cook eggs on the hood of your oh, car. Oh yeah, that's for sure, and, and, and bake cookies too, man. <laughs> bake cookies. <laughs> bake cookies. I probably don't cook evenly though. You might burn the bottom a little bit. Right, right. All right. So speaking of Arizona, let's talk about your college days a little bit. Um, no doubt. Let's switch out of teammates. You did play with some cool teammates there. Uh, I'll mention right. it. But I want to talk about probably one of the sickest plays you've made. I'm sure you've talked about it before. The 91-yard touchdown return that you had. Right. I mean, the guy stumbled. You just took it to the crib. Uh, right. Before I compliment you on it, I just want you to admit the fact that by the time you got to midfield, you were gassed. You Dead were tired. Dead tired. <laughs> 
Because you had it. So I, I noticed the first part of the play, and it's probably no one notices, you know, initially because they're just looking at you run. But you right. hit the hit stick on someone right away. Yeah. So I'm sure you <laughs> oh, my hit him, man. and you're just like, where am I? Like, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, so I was watching it, and then I see the replay. I'm like, man, he is so tired. <laughs> he must yeah, have I'm with gas, man. I was actually sick that game, too, man. And uh, I think I had a little cold or something, dude. And, uh, you know, it was just the whole season. I was like, man, I need to get the ball in my hand. I need to get the ball in my hand. I kept telling the coaches, like, put me back deep on punt return. Let me just get a chance to get the ball in my head. And coaches never put me back there. They ain't feel comfortable with me catching the punts and everything. So I was like, man, when I get the ball in my head, I'm going to show you what I can do. <laughs> so uh, when I got the ball in my head, I just knew I was going to try to score, man. And, I was like, I'm going to cut back field. I did a lot of that stuff in my high school days, too. So I'm like, I'm cutting across field, man. I'm using all my juke moves. And uh, I just I just knew I was like, man, once I got the ball in my hands, I was going to try to score. So it was funny, man. After that game, the coaches actually put me back deep uh, for punt return the next week, man. But luckily, I didn't get any punts to yeah. me. But uh, it took that play, man, for me to be recognized as a punt returner and Never got a punt after that, so it was cool though. <laughs> I mean, at least you, at least you took it to the crib. Well, so you did it again too. You did it another time. Uh, this one was more notable because you picked up, picked off Andrew Luck. So that's right. pretty awesome. I mean, that one was seventy-nine yards. I couldn't find the tape on it, but even if it was a straight dash, I've seen what Andrew Luck can do after a pick in college. Right. So, so you were just trying to run to the opposite side of him, so you don't need the highlight tape. No doubt, no doubt, man. Actually, Andrew tried to tackle me. I heard of him on that play. I always, I always bring it up whenever we play against each other, man. You know, uh, me and Andrew was came really cool. We actually played in a U.S. Army All-American game together um, in high school. So he was my starting quarterback in our All-Star game, and uh, we we kind of connected back then, and we stayed in touch. So. Uh, when I was able to pick him off and uh, jump over him, man, while I was running to the head zone, we always kind of made fun of it uh, whenever we met each other in the NFL, you know, during the post-game interviews and stuff like that. So uh, it was cool, man, just to uh, be able to pick a caliber quarterback off like him, man. It kind of, like, justified that that interception, you know what I mean? Because sometimes you can get an interception from a quarterback that's, real mediocre people really don't try to count it but uh luckily I was able to pick you know one of the best quarterbacks off that uh ever played in the NFL for sure yeah absolutely so speaking of quarterbacks your quarterback uh while you were at college was Nick Foles um yeah. what was he like in college and just kind of did you always see that chip you know his capability of ultimately becoming that you know gamer and big time guy that uh won a, won a Super Bowl and made some playoff runs Absolutely, man. You know, when we came in, Nick had transferred in from Michigan State. So we came in the same year and uh, Nick was our Rick, Nick was our red shirt uh, freshman quarterback. and He redshirted that year. And uh, it was funny, man, because he was the scout team quarterback. And I mean, he would tear us up every day at practice. So uh, we knew once he got the chance to play, man, he was going to be awesome, man. I mean, he lit it up, man. His his first what three, four years uh, there at Arizona, and was a great quarterback, man. He actually uh, didn't start off as a starter, and um, I think the coaches made the change to start him, you know, mid season or something like that. And Nick, you know, tore it up, man, and he went on to set 
you know, Pac-10 and Pac-12 records, you know, throughout his time. So uh, Nick was always a great guy. He's the same guy uh, now that he was back there, you know, just a very humbling guy, God-fearing guy, and a team-first type of guy, man. So uh, always, you know, applaud Nick for the great things that he's been able to do throughout his career. And uh, just happy to see him continue to succeed right now. Yeah, man. Just got another deal, getting another start, uh, starting possibility over in right, Chicago. So right, right. What a, what a decent team, man. You know, I think Chicago, all they really was missing was a was a quarterback that was not just going to be a game manager. You know, someone is going to stretch the field a little bit and uh, make some plays, you know, when it was time to really make big-time plays. And um, I think Nick has the arm to do it. And um, I'm excited to see what he do over there in Chicago, man, with a fresh start. I think you saw that with Trubisky, too, like you were saying. I mean, when, when teams get to a point, defenses get to a point where they're going to dare your quarterback. You know, you even saw it in right. the Super Bowl. Teams are just going to be like, beat us. Right, exactly. Beat us. And the issue with Trubisky is not that he couldn't ball out. It's not that he didn't have wheels or he didn't have an arm. Right. Like, when it came down to it, there are people like yeah. Bulls that can yeah. get the job done. And then <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, and um, that's how it is, man. When you playing quarterbacks, that's game managers, man. We, uh, we, you know, at the defensive side of the ball, we like, okay, he want to throw the check down all the time. Let's take away the check down and make him throw the ball down the field. And, uh, that's usually how game plans go, man, depending on the quarterback that you're playing against. So um, I can definitely see what people was doing against, you know, Trubisky. And I saw what they did against Garoppolo, man, in the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, like I say, I think Nick is a guy that's, you know, going to rise to the occasion in big moments. And uh, I'm excited to see what he do this season. Well, see, and then the thing with game managers, too, is they lean on the run game. You stuff the run, second down, they do the check. Right. Third and six, third and seven, you could only convert yeah. those as many times. Right. So it's a lot exactly. Those yards exactly. add up. Um, so another teammate, a few of your teammates, actually, just the Gronks. I just need to know. I mean, you were with them in college. Right. I'm sure they even had more energy than they do now, and they did just as hard. But is there anything to note on that, or is it self-explanatory? Right, man. I, I tell you what, man. Uh, when I came in, I think it was Gronk's first year. Um, it was his first year at Arizona. So on my recruiting trips, you know, uh, the parties that I went to was at Gronk's house. And, uh, Going to that party kind of is the main reason why I committed to Arizona, man. <laughs> Gronk always had a great time for the football team, man, and for our college, you know. So when Gronk left, I think Gronk left my junior year. When he left college, man, college kind of became born. So <laughs> I definitely appreciate the three years that I was able to spend with Gronk, man. He uh, definitely kept us all entertained. <laughs> Well, that's also college, too. I mean, you probably got older. College gets boring anyways, even no, if you're no. not. Yeah, so for you sure, for sure. But yeah. I'll tell you what, man, Gronk, Gronk always gave us something to do on the weekends. You know, when he left, <laughs> uh, it was, it was kind of a hit or miss deal, you know, once you get older in college. So well, it was win cool, or loss. If, it, if you got a win or loss, still get tossed mentality like Gronk does. I'm Absolutely. sure, you know, it makes everything <laughs> a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so we, soon we get back home, no matter what time it is, no matter where we played at, everybody the Gronk house, man. He has to stay <laughs> like five minutes away from the football stadium. So it was walking distance from campus, man. It was cool. It was a perfect location for us. <laughs> Well, wow, that's awesome, man. Dude, 
Wow. I'm, all right, I'm a little envious now. I went to a D3 <laughs> school, and now I'm just like, damn. All right, uh, all right. So let's uh, let's turn the page here. Let's kind of roll back here to NFL free agency real quick. And I just uh-huh. so it's something that happened last night. I just I didn't get to touch on it. I filmed the show yesterday. I didn't get didn't get to really touch on it. Uh, so Jordan Jenkins, he was the Jets' leading sack leader. Now right. leading into the week, everyone had said. There was no way the Jets were going to pay him the money he deserved. Like, he was going to get this deal, yada, yada, yada. Like, so on and so forth. And then at the last minute, he signed this one-year, $5 million contract with the Jets. And so I was just curious to you, how much of that, like, how to a player, how much is comfortability and fitting that scheme and just kind of knowing where you stand factor in? I mean, like, are you willing to take those dollar signs down knowing that you can repeat what he did last year? Right. I mean, man, in, in free agency, you definitely want to be somewhere where you're comfortable, but then you also want to be somewhere where you're valued. You know, it's one thing to be in a, uh, in a scheme where um, you know it and you know you can shine, but you're not really valued. And then it's another thing to be valued, but not having the money. You know, So I think it kind of goes hand in hand, man. At the end of the day, uh, you just want to be in a place, man, where you can feel like you got the most room to grow. Um, for, for me, you know, in my situation, um, like I said, I would have loved to stay with the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, just because I knew the, I knew the plays, I knew what we was doing. I knew the culture and, you know, sometimes going to a different culture, man, is different. You know, they always say, uh, the grass is not greener on the other side. So a lot of players try to stick with the team that either drafted them or brought them in or, you know, where they got the most friends at. So, um, at the end of the day, man, I could see it going hand in hand, but, uh, you definitely just want to be somewhere where you valued and, and, and you feel the most comfortable that, you know, especially when you're in free agency. So to go off that, this is something I was curious to ask you because you probably know way better from an inside perspective. So speaking of, so the team that drafts you, right? I mean, everyone's got these rookie deals now, but you've seen it more often in the NFL that teams are kind of trying to get away with like, you know, certain things after those rookie deals are up. I mean, the right. biggest one is Dak Prescott. He thinks he deserves all this money and they're right. going to franchise tag him. He wants that guarantee. He thinks he's worth it. What what kind of goes through a rookie's mindset or, you know, obviously not a rookie, but a player who's getting out of that rookie deal and just right. kind of trying to show his worth and just, right. you know, prove to his team that drafted him right. that he's worth the gamble. He's worth that price. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you get the opportunity to show up and you show out, then, you know, your work kind of speaks for itself. But um, if you're a guy that's kind of always been on a fringe and, you know, they they drafted you and you never really developed into the guy that you thought that the team thought you were going to be, then it's kind of like, well, let's see what else, you know, what somebody else can do. You know, at the end of the day, it's like, uh, why pay a guy, you know, X amount of dollars for something that a free agent type guy can do, you know what I mean? So at the end of the day, we always got to remember that the NFL is a business. Um, They all are ran on salary caps. And um, if you're a superstar or if you're a guy that can shine, then you got to shine when it's time to shine. And if you're not, then um, you're liable to be, you know, extended and uh, somebody else can come take your spot. So it's kind of one of those deals, man, when you get the opportunity to play or when you get the opportunity to shine, you, you really got to show up, you know, if you want to be around that team. Yeah, I mean, the Dak situation, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago on the show, too, before he even got the deal. It's just crazy because, right. the, I mean, he, the whole face of the Cowboys thing, even though they haven't even 
had the longevity of success. It's just like the right. whole thing that comes with it, you know, the background noise right. and just like, it's just funny because like he is the face of them, even though he's not, it's just such a thing to right. think about. Such a thing to right. think about. When, when yeah. the money gets involved, it's just, oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, man, I, I, I would love, I love seeing, you know, NFL players get paid, man. I love seeing it, but it's like, uh, what, what what Dak is asking for, he's a great quarterback, but I mean, let's be real. How, how many NFC championships have he won or how many NFC championships have he been to? You know, is he the quarterback that's going to be able to take the Cowboys to the Super Bowl? You know, I mean, it's just something that's, you know, undetermined because he's never shown it. But um, I think he's a great player. I think him and uh, Zeke, you know, makes a great one-two punch. But um, at the end of the day, man, like I say, when those big moments come, you got to kind of rise to the occasion, man. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if I've seen Dak do that, you know, throughout his career. But uh, like I say, great quarterback, man. But, you know, it, it, it takes a lot to get the get the type of money that he wants for sure. Well, I think uh, they tried to give him that franchise tag and get him out of the way first because I was wondering what they were going to do with Amari because I didn't know if they were so nearsighted yeah. to see the fact that Amari Cooper – elevated Dak's game Absolutely. to another level. But hey, Absolutely. think back a little bit to that near uh, the near past there. Without right. Cooper, I mean, yeah, the sure. Zeke show or bust, so. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So Absolutely. I think Amari was worth that money for sure. And even, and even when they wasn't trying to give Zeke his deal, man, I was like, you got to pay Zeke in order for Dak to be the quarterback that he's been, you know? So, like I say, it's a one-two combination over there. And then, you know, once they got Amari over there, it definitely elevated his game, man. So, like I say, I'm excited to see what Dak do this year, man. But uh, if, if I was a general manager or owner, you know, I'll definitely want my quarterback to be proven before, you know, I make him the highest paid quarterback in the NFL for sure. Yeah. Especially because it'll be NFL history, you know, like to do that. He's the highest paid quarterback for a month and then Mahomes is gonna get a deal and it's like Absolutely. Um, it's all so silly. Um Mahomes is going to get the first baseball contract <laughs> in NFL. <laughs> Guarantee money too for right. sure. Oh my god. I'm hoping yeah. he, I hope he gets two hundred million if that's even possible. Give it to him because he's well deserving of it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what he did. That, that's, a, that's a quarterback. That's a quarterback that deserves whatever he's going to get. He came back he from a dislocated broken. kneecap. Yeah, right. Kneecap and was like, I'm right. back three weeks. Easy. Right. Right. I mean, what about his first year, man? His first year, he throws 50 touchdowns, man, uh, as a first time starter. Like, that's unheard of. So, essentially, uh, a rookie. Yeah. I mean, he had no, like, he was in like one right. two games prior to that. Right. Insane. Right. And I don't know, actually, if you saw him, he was on the uh, shop recently, the HBO uh, series that LeBron has. He was talking about uh, how even up until like the playoffs last year, he had just finally started to understand reading defenses. Right. And everyone's like, yeah. that is terrifying. <laughs> that is. Yeah, yeah man. It, it, and it's crazy. You know, it's crazy because I spent training camp with those guys in 2018 and um, he threw a lot of interceptions in training camp, man. So. To be completely honest with you, man, I didn't think he was going to be a quarterback that he that he turned out to be just because he threw so many interceptions in training camp. But uh, when he said that he didn't, you know, really learn how to read defenses until, you know, the playoffs and everything, I was like, oh, it makes sense now, you know, because he threw a lot of picks uh, throughout those training camp practices, man. But 
uh, it just goes to show you, man, he's a game timer, man. He's one of those guys that rise to the occasion when, you know, the opportunity uh, presents itself. And uh, he's been doing it, man, ever since he stepped on the scene. And uh, I, I, I'm just excited to see what he continued to do throughout his career. So I, training camp isn't for months down the road, but obviously we're going through a crazy time with the coronavirus. And the most yeah. near thing that everyone kind of looks at NFL-wise, obviously free agency's here, the draft is there. But as a player that's solidified, like in an organization, I mean, just speaking from a Giants perspective, you got a young quarterback in his second year, Daniel Jones, with a new OC, a new head coach. And obviously right. there's certain restrictions where you can't get into the door and start doing things right. until a certain point. Right. So how much time would a, a player really be missing out right now because uh, of this shakeup with the world right now because of the coronavirus? Man. Man, this is this time right now is um, substantial. You know, uh, one thing that you know the offseason builds is your camaraderie as a team. Um, so they're missing out on that. Then you're missing out on getting your chances to get your hands on a playbook um, early in the offseason. So you're missing out on that, and then you're missing out on reps. Man, nothing can simulate you know, uh, the reps that you get in practice, you know, without doing them, you know. So um, this time right now is crucial, man. You know, to miss out on OTAs, minicamp, you know, that stuff is crucial now. Hopefully, you know, everything will be cleared up and the guys can still get some training camp going. Um, but to miss out on this offseason, man, it's going to be huge, you know, for first-year players and even rookies, man. You know, you you think about it, if we go through a draft and the rookies don't get a rookie minicamp and they first time they step on the scene is during the training camp, man, that is, that's, that's, that's going to be, you know, kind of tough for a lot of guys, you know, the first time seeing the speed, you know, a few weeks before the game time, you know, that that's, that's going to be tough, man. So uh, we're definitely living in a crazy time right now, you know, when it comes to the sports world, but um, I, I'll be interested to see how everything shakes out, man, come week one of the NFL season. See, even at a lower level, so, I mean, we say that all the time as high school coaches. I mean, you can't replicate game speed, and every rep yeah. matters. So when we deal with numbers and we can't get a full defense, it's like you guys don't see it now. But right. I mean, right. every rep matters. Every look matters. Mm -hmm. Just like you see those formations X amount of times. Come right. game, you know what you know what's going to happen. And, and that right. just – elevates all the way to the NFL level it's just uh it really is a crazy time and rookies are going to have their hands full for sure but for speaking sure. of but I, look at, I look at the what the was it the 2011 draft man when they had the lockout and um you know a lot of the rookies stepped on the scene you know and um had to go straight into training camp they didn't have an offseason you know so um you know it's doable you know at the, the say the least it's doable but um, I just, I'm just interested to see how everything shakes out, man, with uh, no mini camp, no off season, and uh, hopefully stepping right into training camp. Now, I know the training camp usually starts, you know, towards the end of July, man, but to see that they postponed the Olympics, you know, recently, uh, it'd be interesting to see, man, if training camps, you know, still go on, you know, towards the end of July. So uh, we're hoping for the best, man, but let's see what happens. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. All right. So I got one last thing to touch on here. We were talking about rookies. NFL draft-wise, obviously I'd like to know anyone you got your eye on, but just from a giant standpoint, I just wanted to pick your mind. I'm not sure if you've seen any Isaiah Simmons tape recently. That's a guy I really think the Giants oh, yeah. would be keen on because of just the capability he has to fill multiple spots on a, sure. on a defense that needs it. 
Um, for sure. Just talk about the fact that this guy can just be this hybrid man that goes from edge rush, nickel, right. inside, and go back to play free safety. And just how difficult that actually is to do. Man, I, I tell you what, man, this guy is uh, a great talent for sure, dude. He he reminds me a lot of Jabril Peppers, man, you know, just being so versatile in the secondary, but he can do a little bit more than Jabril Peppers does, man. So uh, he's a guy that I watched, you know, throughout his uh, college, you know, career and just seeing the place that he was able to make, man, from coming from the middle third to making it all the way to the sidelines to get interceptions, man. And it, it, it's been crazy to see what he can do, man, in the different roles that he does it. Uh, when I look at him, man, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a steel curtain guy. You know, I think of the steel curtains. I'm like, dude, this dude will fit in perfect with the Steelers defense, man. But I think wherever he lands, man, he's going to be a great ball player. But to have him and uh, Jabril Peppers um, over there with the Giants, man, I think that would be huge. You know, that would be a definitely an upgrade for the secondary for sure. Yeah, I mean, the guy's unique. And my thing is, I mean, he – he wows me with the fact that on a huge stage, he picks off Justin Fields, a guy right. who never turns the ball over. And you can just tell he right. just, he's just so football smart. His IQ's got to be through. Yeah, him. for sure. But when I see him go from inside the box to those leak out little dump off passes, like teams are, right. I mean, teams are getting their doors kicked in by Clemson. And this guy's going a thousand miles an hour, right. getting these one yard losses behind the line of scrimmage. And it looks right. like nothing, but. Right. That is his acceleration and closeout is. Yeah, man. I mean, he's one of those. He's one of those dudes. You know, um, that's what we say. He's one of those dudes when it comes to the football uh, world, man. The game is not too big for him. You know, sometimes a lot of guys gotta like evolve into the game. He's one of the guys that's just, you know, it's it's a natural to him, and he's he's going out there letting his instincts, you know, play for him, and he's making huge plays, man. I'm excited to see what he do on the next level. Yeah, me too. You got any guys that you're uh, eyeing up in the NFL draft? Some un unsung heroes uh, I don't know about? Man, I tell you what, uh, these these receivers that's in this draft, man, is uh, definitely going to be an eye to see what they do on the next level, man. There's so many receivers that's out there that's uh, going to be, you know, talented. But I have a young cornerback, man, that went to Utah, uh, Dana Johnson. Uh, he's predicted to be a first-round cornerback, man. So if he do make it out and – go first round. I think he'd be the first, you know, first round player um, out of Fresno, you know, city history, you know. So uh, I'm rooting for him, man, to hopefully make it in the first round. But I'm also just rooting for him, man, because he's a defensive back and he's from my hometown. So uh, be, be uh, interested to see where he land, man, come in the next uh, few weeks or so. That's interesting. I don't, yeah. I don't have my Fresno history up to date. So I'm glad yeah. you're able to give me some of that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I have this feeling about the receiver class, too. I think some I, – because I was just watching a mock, and they're saying six are going to go in the first round. I think that's insane. I think they're all talented. Six in the right. first round is just crazy when you think about how much other talent at positions there are. There's 11 right. positions on a football field, and you're going to go six in the same in the first 30. But um, right. it does remind me of that Odell, Mike Evans, Jarvis class. Right. Just like right. it's possible that they all are super freaks and they're talented. And I think uh, I, I'm so high on Justin Jefferson from LSU. I think he's the oh, most, yeah. like, under-the-radar guy. He's, like, the fourth yeah. off the board. I, he's not even under the radar. He's projected in the first round. But right. it's just, like, we've got guys like Jerry Judy and right. just running four twos. It's, like, it's very right. easy to 
you know. Yeah, I think I think Jefferson, man, I think he's a all around type receiver. You know, he's physical. He's you know he's got some size to him. He and he's not a slow guy either, man. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what he do on the next level. But you know, I'm a I'm a huge OU fan, man. So uh, for some reason, you know, when, when my coaching staff got fired at Arizona, Mike Stoops now, they went to Oklahoma. So I followed them, you know, pretty much all the way over there, man. And followed a lot of OU games, man. And Lamb, man, he's one of the best receivers on the, on the college level that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, you're talking about a guy that could take a two-yard slant, man, to the house, you know, from 90 if he had to. So uh, I'm interested to see what he do on the next level, you know. And uh, also, man, Hurst, you know, Jalen Hurst, man, I'm looking to see what where he picked, you know, where he gets picked and the opportunity that he can get, man. Uh, I think he falls in the line of, uh, uh, of Lamar Jackson, you know, guys that – didn't really think he can throw, didn't think he was going to be a, you know, an NFL quarterback, but I think he got the tangibles to do it. And uh, I'm excited to see him get an opportunity as well. I mean, just to touch on Lamb before I get into Hurts, because I'm a big Jalen Hurts guy too. I mean, that right. guy is just a baller. Uh, no, I don't know if you saw CD's uh, jump ball. They had the uh, jump ball drill essentially during the combine. Oh, the combine? Yeah, yeah, I saw he, that. It's on air, but he like just, <laughs> It was insane. It was like out of bounds, and he still came yeah. down. It's like, the same body control, man. It takes a lot of body control to do something like that. And that he's been doing that his whole career, yeah, for sure. God, yeah, insane. But uh, Jalen Hurts, too, I mean, just the fact that, I mean, to make that look so easy, to, like, granted, I understand what OU can do. I, I, I right. get it. They had Kyler. They had, you know, right. Baker and all this, and, and they're uh, – a blue blood and they always make it right but it, that's so easy to say like that's his yeah. vote that's such a yeah. so the fact that he can go from bama and the fact that not only he was benched in bama came back one right. of the games that like right. this interchangeable part and can take another program to a right. football playoff exactly i mean exactly he's i mean it, 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 every any and everybody can't just do that you know i, I understand the history and the uh the, the 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 success that OU then had throughout their time but uh I'm not sure that OU would have even been in that spotlight you know if Hurst wasn't their quarterback you know and he didn't won championships you know then bent to him and it wasn't new to him so the stage wasn't that big when it came to it you know and uh, I think Hurst man is definitely a baller that's going to show up you know every chance he every time he gets an opportunity and he didn't did it you know for two big time programs, you know, I mean, these are not small schools, you know, these are, you know, frontline, you know, top of the line, top 10 uh, football programs that he didn't been able to be successful on. So I'm excited to see, man, him get an opportunity. You know, I know he'll get drafted. I know he'll get picked, but I want to see him get an opportunity to actually play on the next level, man, and uh, see what he can do, you know, on that stage for sure. And so it's not interchangeable, but a guy that he used to go against, so Deshaun Watson had the same issue. I mean, he kind of got underdrafted for where, where his value was at as a national right. champ. Lamar Jackson, same thing, guy won a Heisman underdrafted. Right. And, and right. I feel like it wasn't always like that. I mean, the years before them, even guys like Jameis, like people were taking chances early on. But now I feel like the, the, the winning pedigree of a quarterback in college, it's like it's just thrown out the window, and I don't, I don't understand it okay. at all. It makes well, no sense. Well, 
<laughs> right. So, you know, I think I think the NFL is such a cookie cutter type business. You know, a, a quarterback has to be your prototypical type QB. Uh, but it's it, it's amazing how John Harbaugh, man, um, kind of put his pride aside, put his ego aside and built the offense around a quarterback that uh, that fits him and make him comfortable, man. And, um, you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, his. Twitter handle is new era, and I believe it is a new era, man, uh, with him and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and hopefully Jalen Hurts, you know, but these are not your prototypical type quarterbacks, but I feel like they got the goods of what it takes, you know, to win a game, man. Um, it just showed, you know, with the with the offense that Jim Harbaugh put in place for, for Lamar Jackson, man, and uh, I think if they keep it up, man, they'll they'll be able to, you know, be successful this upcoming year. Not sure if it's Jim or John, but, you know, they both <laughs> they both get, you know, mixed up in my brain every time. But I'm not sure if it's John or Jim with the Baltimore. He's a good quarterback. I mean, he's a good coach over there for sure. Either way, not great for the steel curtain. Hey, <laughs> I won't say that. You know, I won't say that. <laughs> no, well, you know what? But the Steelers are smart, and everyone sleeps on this. What what can take the quarterback like that? A monster defense, and I think you got right. exactly just right. when people count them out, man. You get someone like Watt off the edge that quickly. Right. Everyone's like, oh wait, okay, hold on, right. we got another defensive player. Now got, right now, you got Bud Dupree, man, who then came into his own, man. They just franchise tagged him, man. Then you got Bush, you know, uh, that's starting at the middle linebacker, which is a, a freakish athlete, dude. And Minka Fitzpatrick, what a deal that was, man. When the Steelers gave up their first-round pick, everybody was like, oh, what are they doing? And by the end of the season, they was happy with that decision. So, um, I mean, the Steelers are creating a great defense over there. And then you get in Ben Roethlisberger back this season, man. So, uh, I'm always going to root for the Steel Curtain, man. I'm always rooting for the Steelers, you know, that – that's the organization that kind of gave me the opportunity to live out my dreams, man. So I'm always root for them, man. But it's it'll be interesting to see what they do this year. You know, I'm hoping for a big year for Juju, man. You know, uh, he didn't really put up the numbers that he's supposed to uh, this past season. So your boy AD was starting Twitter wars with him during the season. That's right. Why. right. Let him be. But yeah. <laughs> when you think about it, when you think about it, man, uh, AB always drew the double teams, man, when it came to, you know, uh, defensive game plans. They always double teamed AB. So when Juju stepped into that number one receiver role, man, he became the guy that got the double teams. And, but in uh, his I, defense, too, you know, Big Ben went down so early. Yeah, that's so true. So early. Then it's easier to blanket a guy like Juju when he don't even got QB1 there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, but I do think you got a young guy. I like Deontay Johnson a lot over in Pittsburgh. Uh -huh. I, I oh, think yeah. he's a guy that stretches the defense and helps a guy like Juju out a lot. You just For They sure. just signed Ebron, too. So when you got oh, a right. tight end. When you got a versatile tight end, too, those are guys that stretch the defense and help a guy like Juju out a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And then, you know, I'm expecting James Conner to have a big year this year. You know, uh, I was I, I was kind of hoping Todd Gurley ended up in Pittsburgh, man, when the Rams let him go. But uh, that didn't happen. But, you know, I think James Conner is a great, you know, running back, man, when he can stay healthy. So uh, hopefully he can have a healthy season this year, man. And uh, hopefully they make some noise, man. I know, I know your Giants is the NFC, so uh, hopefully I'm not causing too much controversy. But no, absolutely not. You know, uh, we talk about the Jets here too, and the AFC East. The AFC East and the NFC East are just going to be the two most intriguing to watch. Obviously, the AFC East because of the Brady news, and now everyone 
you know, Jets fans are going to think they have a leg up, but then you got the Bills who made the playoffs last year. The right, Dolphins right. are spending all this money. Then you got right. the NFC East. It's like, who knows? You could literally flip coins, and exactly. each year it's going to be the team who wins the division because exactly. last year a losing record almost won that division. So Right, right, which is crazy, man. But, you know, that division always been, you know, a, a, a headhunting type division, man. It's always been a coin flip of who will win it, you know, and, uh, I mean, when RG3 had those good years, you know, it was there. And then Philly always been at the top. And Cowboys is coming on now. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Just season. when everyone counts out the Giants, it's when they strike. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's when we won the second one. That's when they exactly. won the second one. Just when but you, you know, count them out. Right. So, you know, when the Giants did win it, though, man, they had great defense. So, getting Isaiah Simmons, man, to be big if they can get him. Well, they also had a good offensive line, too, to protect the quarterback, you know. Right, for they, sure. They've invested, they've invested more in it. It's just, you know, some it, they're, they're in such an interesting predicament at the number four pick, and it's like no one trusts the GM, but I do believe in our head coach. I believe in our head coach this time around. Right. I'm hoping he's the sense of reason sometimes. Right, right. I know he won't ultimately – he'll only be on the phone call, but I'm hoping right. at some point he could be like, are you sure? Are you exactly. positive? You well, I, I tell you what, man. Uh, he did a good job of picking Daniel Jones, man. People didn't believe he was going to be the guy that he came out to be, but I think they got a star in him, man. And uh, it'd be interesting to see what they go at number four. Just, just I know we talk about the Jets on here too, man. And um, I was talking to some of my guys this morning. And I was like, how crazy would it be if you know Cam Newton and Le'Veon Bell was to pick up, you know, out there in New York, man? I think that'd be good. Not sure if the New York fans believe in Sam Darnold or not, but I think Cam Newton will fit in pretty good, man, up there with the Jets. Uh, I It's funny because everyone still calls him Sammy Savior, and, like, they believe in him. That's their franchise guy. But I've been on this show, too, and I talk about it. You have to you have to wonder when the window starts to close a little bit. You know, if he battles right. an injury again, the whole mono thing last year set it back. Right. It's like I think the Jets are going to slowly get back to the point where defense is – going to win their championship if they yeah. do because I think Jamal Adams and that's the guy I've been saying needs he deserves whatever money he's Absolutely. asking for from the Jets because the guy's a beast I, yeah he's the tone setter <laughs> yeah and to me it's like it's tough because Sam Darnold kind of gets the raw end of the deal and he's gonna be asking for money soon too but it's like right. what exactly has he done yet you know exactly. and, you know that's what it gets exactly. into and it's like if you're paying Lev and your defense is your focal point, and you needed it. Right. It's just crazy how the pecking order works in the NFL. Yeah, how, quickly, sure. how quickly that shit changes. Because even sure. with Cam, you had two months ago in Carolina, Matt Rule comes in, they're like, Cam's our guy. Right. Uh, today. Right. On, just like that cut. <laughs> right. They trade him. They just cut him. Well, Act I mean, quick, I man. What, man. <laughs> that's the nature of the NFL. <laughs> It'll be. That's the nature of it. <laughs> It's like, what have you done for me lately, I guess? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, man. That's I'm crazy. excited for Teddy Bridgewater, though, man. He's a great he's a great quarterback, man. I think, uh, you know, his injury kind of set him back, you know, but for him to get another opportunity to pick up where he left off before he got hurt, man, uh, I'm excited to see what he do over there. And, and Teddy's story, too, is so awesome. They oh, just yeah. signed Robbie yeah. Anderson, too. They just signed Robbie Anderson. And oh, I saw that. When, when you got someone like Christian McCaffrey to worry about and someone like Robbie right. Anderson to stretch out the defense. Right, right. And I think exactly. – I think um, uh, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, 
the receiver. Oh my God! What? Oh, DJ Moore. DJ oh, Moore yeah. is uh, is a guy who can hold it down. I mean, he had absolutely. a hell of a season last year, over a thousand yards, right? Matches. So, and, and more more reminds me of the old Steve Smith in that offense. You know, uh, Steve Smith was. He never was the guy that's going to take the top off, but Moore can, you know, he can stretch the field. He's a great route runner, and uh, he, he makes a lot of combat catches, man. So he kind of reminds me of the Steve Smith, man, back in the days, you know. With, uh, Steve the Smith Carolina was the man, though. Seeing that man make big plays as the little guy downfield, getting up right. and talking shit after it, well, that's exactly. what you live for. Exactly. That's what you live for. And I, I know he was an defensive back. That would just eat you alive. Right. Man. When when Steve Smith went to Baltimore, man, he was one of those guys that we was just like, dang, here this guy go. <laughs> two up, times man. a year, right? You're like two times a year. He was coming with it, man. He was he was adopted. <laughs> he was adopted into that rivalry, man, but he took it on like he was born in it. <laughs> yeah. No, he played big a few times. A few he times. He did. He did, man. Yeah. He did. Yeah. All right, so, well, yeah. that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's about good. everything. Yeah. Uh, dude, I mean, it was awesome to have you on. Thanks for coming on again, man. Uh, yeah. I'm sure this yeah, will happen I'm again sure sometime soon. Yep, I'm sure this won't be our last one together. Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, we, we touched on pretty much every team in the uh, on the East Coast. Maybe we show love right. for the West Coast next time. Well, no, right. we gave Arizona and Fresno some love. We got some Utah yeah, in there. Yeah. So. We did get everywhere. We got everywhere. Um, <laughs> for sure, G. But, yeah, man, uh, thanks again for coming on. We'll do this soon. All good, brother. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime soon. Absolutely, man. I agree. Yeah. See you. That interview with Robert Golden was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? A big thank you again to Rob for coming on. That was an awesome interview. I'm sure he'll be back on sometime soon. Uh, as I touched on in that interview, just a few things the Jets decided to do while the show was taped the day prior. Uh, they re-signed linebacker and sack leader Jordan Jenkins to a one-year $5 million deal. And then something the Jets didn't do was re-sign Robbie Anderson as Anderson will ship on over to Carolina and join Teddy Bridgewater and company over there in Carolina. So the Jets will be in business for a number one wide receiver, potentially in the draft or maybe somewhere in free agency. Uh, We'll see where that goes. But that's it. We're going to wrap up today's show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod. You can follow me at Tino Rodriguez. You could find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, the Believe website. Like, download, subscribe, do it all, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed. Talk to you next week. listening to believe 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.